Mr. Blackman, it's been a while. Great to see you. It's been a minute. It's great to see you, man. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the last time we spoke was the last time you're on my podcast, which I think was five years ago or four years ago. And a lot of changes since, I guess, for both of us. I actually didn't know you got married until kind of recently. And I've seen you lovingly holding a baby. Yeah. Yeah. It made one. <laughs> That's yeah, amazing. So been, yeah. Thanks. So it's funny. Uh, I've been on social media very little in the last year, but you came up twice in like bo- both times. Like I log in to answer a message and something of yours is up at the top. Uh, one mm-hmm. was where you were addressing the vice doc where you were taken out of, which maybe we could talk about later. And the second was a post from, I think, also five years ago or a long time ago that I, I guess I, I and many people commented on. Mm. I think it was titled The Seven Stages a Coach Goes Through. I don't know how it resurfaced. I think you you hit like on a comment I left five years ago, so it obviously popped up on my, my thing. And it's yeah. funny, that day, which I think was like a week and a half ago, I was kind of depressed because I was kind of... I had, my birthday had passed. I don't know if it was because of blues or something, but I, I realized like, I've been going through this thing for maybe a year, maybe since I found out I was going to have a baby. I don't know if it's related or not about being seen of like this Mm. weird thing of like, I want to be seen. I don't want to be seen. I have shame around ways I felt about it in the past. And even though your post was kind of addressing something slightly different, I felt like every stage resonated with like, there's a time I didn't want to be seen. There's a time where I wanted to be seen, but in such like a callous way that I, I actually feel ashamed of how brash I was in mm. places, be it online or socially. Anyways, yeah. I felt like I had to talk to you because it just seemed like a serendipitous, meaningful thing that came up. I mean, that that topic in itself is, is I deeply resonate with like the, the mixed feelings and my relationship to visibility, man. That's, that's a whole topic in itself. Yeah. Um, especially with, especially with, you know, everything that's been going on. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, so how is how has it been with you? Are you referring to the one taste stuff? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I, I let's can I, we can go either way because I definitely if we don't start with you and your relationship to visibility, I definitely want to bookmark it and come back to it because I want to oh, yeah. hear about it. That's the big piece that I have on my notes, so we're definitely going to cover that. <laughs> okay, good. Um. Well, so I, you know, my struggle is that I. So even going back before One Taste, there's there's the people that I trained with who simultaneously, like I, they, they helped make me the man that I am in a lot of positive ways. And simultaneously, they're also such corrupt, um, uh, genuinely harmful human beings that I don't even like to talk about, like I don't, I don't name them because I wouldn't even want people to go check them out. So they're kind of the black sheep of even of uh, you know of the industry. Even within even within the clitoral stroking industry, they're the black sheep of even that. So so I have I struggle with how I talk about my origin story. Like my origin story is rich and and there's a lot of stuff to it, but there's such mixed you know mixed things about it that that I, I have, I, I kind of skirt around it. I actually think you've done a fantastic job of just owning it, own, owning like the, the, at least the part of your or- origin story that I know about, which is, yeah, I was in a sex cult, you know, and, uh, 
And being willing, to, like the, the level of candor that you bring to that topic, I, I've just been really kind of impressed and inspired by. Um, but um, like wanting visibility, wanting to be to be seen, wanting to be recognized, wanting fame, and then shying away from it, feeling embarrassed about it, feeling ambivalent about it, just wanting to be invisible and all that's like all that stuff is is very very up for me yeah it's been i mean it took a lot of years to get to this point and i still feel like I, I do struggle with parts of it where i just felt like especially when i was starting as a coach and i wanted uh, my only credential was one taste which i was also calling a cult so it's like this it was like how can i yeah i mean you get it right it was very challenging yeah. i think yeah. eventually i do feel good about some of the appearances i've had i, I didn't like the way some certain things were edited but yeah, it is yeah. Yeah, the same thing as you. It's something that really made me who I am. And unfortunately, most people can't really understand. I mean, people like to put things in a good or evil category. And I, I mean, I, every time there's an appearance, I get a lot of hate mail on, uh, to my website about kind of silly things just trolling me. But like the fact that I speak not extremely negatively about a cult experience makes a lot of people yeah. angry. And honestly, when I feel down, it does hurt my feelings, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you and I have, I, I've seen that you've like created uh, a following that has nothing to do with, you know, your background. And I have tried to do the same where, like, I have people who follow me who know, who know nothing about One Taste. They know nothing about, about you know, the, the sex commune that I was in before One Taste existed. They just know who I am now. And I think you've done a really good job of just like, Creating, creating basically your branding, both your branding and the message that you're bringing to the world, like the stuff that you teach and the stuff that you talk about on your podcast and stuff. It's been really good. I it, like to witness you come into your own and kind of curate and add your experiences and like, yeah, it's been, Thanks. it's been good. I send I people to you. That. Oh, awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it was one taste based. I mean, I don't think I've gotten anything close to that level of education about men and women, especially or feelings like nothing yeah. even close. And I've done, taken a lot of workshops since. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And but actually, would, that, you, I mean, but would you say that you what you teach now is your own like it's it's your own ver like sure it's deeply influenced by by one taste and deeply influenced i'm sure by all the reading that you've done and the other classes you've taken but wouldn't you agree that it's kind of your own thing that you've you know you've developed cuz that's know, how it yeah. feels yeah i mean it's definitely i mean i don't agree with all the ideas certainly for one taste i do feel like my confidence in certain things comes mainly from the experiences i had there cuz everything else I've read in books is just book stuff, right? Really the only sure. time I've really had like intense experiential, experiential. Uh, lessons. Yeah. Was, was one taste. Yeah. And, you know, that's also been confusing not to jump between the topics, but maybe this is yeah. necessary. Like um, my ego got super inflated in one taste. And I think that's true for many people where I thought one, I thought the world was all one taste because my social media feed was that all the people that was part of being in a cult. So I thought I was like a really big deal. I thought I was so brilliant. I was getting a lot of validation from other people I thought were like the most brilliant people in the world, some of whom, which was partially true. Um, and then since leaving there, I've had a lot of shame about 
the feelings I felt, my self-perception. I'm like mm. kind of embarrassed of things I said or thought to people. And it makes it very hard for me to feel confident in many settings, to be honest, where I feel like this kind of back and forth. If I don't want to go there again, um, mm. which is maybe stage three in your list of like sharing brashly or callously and thinking I'm so cool. And yeah. it, actually, I mean, I even feel a knot in my stomach saying this. It's like, I feel like this in this stuck place, partly because of like a certain high I reached that I, I'm afraid to approach again, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's, I have a, I actually have a theory about this. There's a certain kind of cockiness. I'll, I'll say it for, for, for me, and then you tell me if this is also applies to you. So for me, I was really terrible with women. I was shy. I had no skills. I had nothing. I had no game. I had nothing. Like I had, I was really bad at relating with them just even as human beings. Um, and when I up leveled through training really quickly, I was very impressed with myself because I, because of how big of a jump and how quickly it happened. All of a sudden, my low self-esteem, like the, the comparison between that, that sudden jump from where I was, like I was impressed with myself in this because of, because of where I started and how quickly I developed. But my, my view of myself was uh, skewed. And so I ha at the time, I, had, I was fortunate to have women who were able to kind of give me a little perspective. And I, so I had teachers who kind of gave me perspective and had me like kept my humility in check, if that makes sense. But I, but I think there is a certain kind of cockiness that can just come from, from rapid, from rapid development. And I wonder if that's, if that's what happened to you, or if you would say it slightly differently. Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, actually I would say almost exactly. It's just what happened yeah. afterwards. <laughs> was that the humility check came from a different environment where I now thought the previous thing maybe was fake, which was mm -hmm. a thing that made it really hard to talk about my cult experience for a number of years. Mm -hmm. But I mean, just as an, where it's kind of showing up is like, uh, actually to go back a stage, when I was doing pickup stuff before One Taste, I developed confidence or competence in a very specific kind of social setting mm -hmm. and it didn't mm -hmm. translate. And it made me realize it was, Oh, it was a fake. It was a mask. It was not, it was not very useful. <clears throat> so I didn't even like going to clubs and it wasn't me in one taste. I developed something that's felt and is, I think a lot more authentic and real, but still I'm realizing like, I'm still pretty awkward. I mean, it's not thing, something that really is bothers me, but like, I'm very confident in one-on-one -on -one situations with women. I'm still pretty awkward in parties. <laughs> like that hasn't changed. Yeah. I'm like somewhat okay with that. But then I have been thinking about more of like something around it's still something around uh, not being comfortable letting myself be known, which maybe mm. relates to the other things. Mm. I don't know. I'm being a little vague now, but it's like, this is kind of what I'm processing. Interesting. Yeah. I'm curious about it. Like I, I see you as someone who ha would, would have easy access to fame and success just because, you know, I think you've done a really good job of, um, pulling from different sources and then finding a way of making it your own. Like I find you to be very articulate in expressing the ideas and the, the concepts and just the, the stuff that you teach. So 
I think I think a certain level of humility is 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 valuable, uh, but I I would I would think that you could have the amount of visibility that you want if you wanted it, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I guess that's that's also been because <clears throat> I don't have a big following, and the people who do follow my stuff usually say nice things, and that feels good, of course. But yeah. then a lot of people also say, "Why don't you have more followers?" And it's kind of this thing, even with my book, for instance, which has been a huge part of this whole thing. It's been very, I've been working on it for 10 years and I still, it's just something, you know, um, it's like everyone says, oh, it must be so easy to get a book deal. But like, man, I've gotten so many rejections from agents of like, not even like, and you know, I mean, this is maybe a very common thing for a writer to gripe about, but I'm just like, man, there must be, I mean, must be something internal going on where I just don't allow, I don't know. Yeah. Can I say like, I felt that way about myself just in terms of the success of my business when i left one taste in 2014 i had um uh, i had a reputation within a certain group and enough of them sought me out to like you know sustain me at a at a basic basic sustainable level in terms of like i mean i had to i had to bootstrap pretty pretty seriously when I left one taste I didn't have I didn't have like a cushion or anything um, but I I initially thought that I would be pretty it would be pretty easy for me to be successful and I found that that wasn't the case the business classes didn't really help for reasons that I couldn't really pin down and at some point I was like oh I'm I'm the issue here like something there's something internal within me that's in the way and so I definitely resonate with that feeling, but for what it's worth, I meant it, I meant it as a compliment, not like, why aren't you doing better? What I meant was like, like it, if you, what you do know is that you have ambivalence about it. Mm -hmm. And so there isn't, there may not be, there's a lot that you do have going for you that once, once those internal things get get resolved like the more i resolve my internal stuff the more like things are getting to flow and but it took a long time do you know what i'm saying yeah and i guess i was wondering if uh like that post you shared because i i love the way you put out those seven stages yeah. maybe there's something in how one say how a coach progresses from stage to stage i basically been like looking at it as like is this is this a framework i can use to <laughs> to work through <laughs> to my things but i think you know i think other people have commented on that post like it's just a useful way to share yeah ideas or communicate and well i've come to think of confidence as something that's actually pretty humble and not arrogant like i think of i think of arrogance as like when i talk about confidence because i this is something i talk about with men and I think it comes like I always talk in terms of like self-esteem and I think of confidence as like because I'm confident it's easy for me to apologize like a, a good apology where your ego isn't involved is like oh yeah I was wrong I, I'm really sorry like I like a genuine regret but no ego involved in it or to to change your mind to have your mind changed about something like I think of, I think of confidence as something that's, that's very, that actually has a lot of humility in it. But at some point you just claim who you are and you say, no, this is what I believe in. And this is, this is what I, what my stand is in the world. Um, but it's my definition of confidence now is very different from my confidence 
back in the day where it was just brash and cocky and like risk taking and like I thought of those things as confidence, you know. Um, so I think in some way that parallels to some degree. I I don't have I don't have the I know the post you're talking about. I don't have it up. I I wonder if if you have it. Uh, uh, I do have Andy? it. Up, of course. Maybe we should. I, I, maybe I we did should kind ship. of memorize it. <laughs> okay. But, uh, the, uh, point one is shying away from saying hard things. Yeah. Point two is saying hard things diplomatically, apologetically, tentatively. Yep. Three is saying things callously, harshly, while patting yourself on the back. Yep. Four is saying hard things lovingly, which is actually, to comment on, I've noticed even that I feel a little bit of disdain for, like let's say with uh, sharing mm -hmm. to online, like when it comes from, oh, I'm doing this just for other people, even that kind of feels a little fake to me at times. And yeah. I don't know if it's, this is resistance in itself, but like when I read that, I was like, oh, I'm glad this is a middle point, <laughs> not the final <laughs> point. Because I think yeah, and on many I... people's list, that would be the end. And I kind of meant it in the sense also of like with a healthy dose of sugar to make the medicine go down, like you, you, mm. you kind of cover it in sweetness and niceness. Like, like a compliment sandwich or something. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, point five was uh, saying hard things nonchalantly or humorously as a diversionary tactic. Mm -hmm. And six is uh, saying it with no internal emotional charge in a matter of fact way. And seven is in such a way that the receiver does not think it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I think that does parallel my relationship to my own confidence and my relationship to my own self-esteem. Mm -hmm. At first, I was too shy to, to, to rock the boat. Then I got really brash and cocky. Like, I'm kind of skipping, but... And then, and then I realized I was kind of like bashing through people's very possibly sensitive, you know, feelings. So then I got super loving and, and soft and like would couch things in a lot of softness. Then I just, then I just got kind of matter of fact about things. And now I'm at the place where when I'm on a coach, it was kind of like what I said. And when I'm on a coaching session, I'm more aware of the the shifts that are taking place than they are. Like I, they don't have even have. It's like I'll say something and they'll be like, "Oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense." And then I will see their behavior change radically, where me a few years earlier would have like that would have been like three months of coaching to get them to that place. Hmm. So something about my own and my own relationship to myself brought me through that whole that whole sequence. Yeah, the, that last point, uh, the, the thing that it made me think of the most is like, if your friend is tripping on a hallucinogen and you're not, they might be going through something really intense, but you know what the reality is around them and you know they're safe and it, it, it just makes yeah. it easy to trip yeah. sit or, or guide them through it. Um, yeah. And I've been trying to remember that with everything, like see the real reality where we're, where things are not as dire, even though they're having mm -hmm. an experience and move them mm -hmm. through that whether it's in coaching or in life or whatever. Beautiful. I like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So how was it with the, the vice doc for you uh, as far as being cut and all that stuff? Yeah. So um, I've done a bunch of interviews. Like, it's funny, a, a few, two or three years ago, I was like, I think I'm ready to actually tell my 
part of this story because it hasn't really, it hasn't really, I think I had a unique perspective within the company, like all the stuff that's being said on both sides of it, the people who, who adored and worship it and the people who feel burned and victimized and think it's the devil. Like, I, I feel like my perspective, my particular position within the company gave me um, a, a different way of looking at it. And so a couple of, like a couple of years ago, I just started to feel the feeling like, I think I'm ready to, to talk about this. I think I'm ready to tell this story. And, you know, a bunch of different opportunities. I mean, like there's, there's a bunch more documentaries that are, that are being done. There's documentaries that I turned down. But I think after the BBC, I felt really, I felt like my quotes were misused in the BBC. So I was pretty burned. And then with Vice, it, I, I, I had a good feeling about the, 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 the guy, the, the producer, director. So I said yes. When they, when they decided to cut me, that told me everything about what the story was going to be. I was like, okay, I know that I was not surprised at all by what they, what they created. I don't think I like to me, like my wife called it a big nothing burger. Like I didn't think there was a lot there for them to like, I, there wasn't much that added to the story in my opinion. Um, but I, what I came away with is I'm going to have, like, I'm, I'm writing an article myself to talk about clitoral stroking, which is the thing that gets thrown under the bus by all of this. Like, I think to this day, I feel like I'm, I have a better chance of saying the nuanced, um, like the, the reality of, of why clitoral stroking is, is even a thing. And so that I, I'm working on an article, it's almost done actually. Um, and that, and then I think the next level of vulnerable vis visibility will to talk about my or my origin story and, and the people that I, that I got trained by and both the good of, of everything that I got and also the, the abusiveness and the manipulativeness of it and the, the, the abuse of it. So that will be the next piece in terms of me just getting clean with everything so that I don't have whatever is in the way of me and, and my, my steps towards visibility and, and just being more out in the world and making a bigger impact. Cause I can tell right. those things are tied in with, with why I meet the world with ambivalence. Well, I'm so. very excited to read it. I love your writing and I'd love to hear mm -hmm. your perspective. Um, yeah, I was really good, very glad that you were, uh, involved in these i'm curious what what was required for you to feel comfortable talking about it a couple of years ago or what happened that you weren't and then you were um well i there when i first left one taste I realized what a bubble it actually is and how difficult it is to actually get someone like it, there, it's not, it's not surprising actually that all of the documentaries, like when they, when they show the process of getting into position to do, to do an ohm, they play ominous music, right? There's no way, like 
it's so weird that it's really hard to, to talk about it in a straight way and, and in a clear, straight, matter-of-fact way of this is what it is. Like every, all the people who create, like, I guess the, 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 the people doing the interviews do, do one thing, but then the producers and the edit, like everything is in the editing room and they always end up distancing themselves from it. And so I just felt like I wanted a fresh start when I, in 2014, I just wanted, I wanted to create something from scratch and it took a while to create a following of people who are following me for what I was talking about now and not from a reputation, which was a mixed, very mixed re reputation. And I feel like one, I needed a certain level of, of, of following and to be, to just be me. There are people who know me who know nothing about One Taste whatsoever. They never even heard of it. And I needed a certain amount of that. And then be with that for a while. And then I was able to say, okay, now I feel like I can, I can talk about this chapter of my life, not as, not as a, 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 a black mark on my thing, but also not as a feather on my cap, but just as a, 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 a chapter of my life. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, does that, does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like you had to come back to it complete. Yeah. 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 I had to become I had to become the new person I wanted to be before I could talk about it from a from a from a perspective of distance. Yeah. Yeah, I mean uh yeah, I wasn't able to really write my book well coming out of it cuz my perspective would change month to month sometimes. Like sometimes I would be mm -hmm. praising Nicole and then other times I'd be like, you know, it, it's hard, it's hard uh right afterwards. I'm yeah. <clears throat> with the with the stuff about like uh the <laughs> ominous music with um stuff I, you know, it's like, it just seems like such an easy way, or I guess you said safe, like, or they're distancing themselves. It's like, I, yeah. I guess I, I lose respect for these. Uh, and I understand why they would do it, but the creatives who make these decisions, because it seems like such a, a safe and easy way to deal with a difficult subject. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe everyone is, it's like, kind of like, everyone's afraid of being demonized as like a, a pervert or whatever. I think especially as a man talking about this stuff, because that's the, that's the thing I get the most uh, flack about is that I was a man who said he got a lot out of stroking lots of women's clitorises in a place where that was the norm. Like the, it's, it's, it's easy to paint it as a perverse thing. And especially yeah. with how the culture is treating men in general nowadays. Yeah. I, well, it's interesting because I, I think I got a chance to witness something with the Vice piece that I hadn't really been a part that like something clicked for me about how this whole process goes. So when I first talked to the guy, um, he was just starting out to in to talk to people to see is there a story here? Like, I, I'm just I'm just finding out like. He was actually like learning as he went to, to uh, talking to different people, and he 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 was genuine. I I believe that he was genuine when he said, "I want to do a story that's actually pro orgasmic meditation, though I will of course include stories of the stories of the people who who ha who speak negatively. It's not going to be totally positive, but when he said." Um, I really want to do something that's that's pro that's pro clitoral stroking pro orgasmic meditation. 
I, I, I believe that that was true. And I think along the way, a couple things happened. One is that the stories that were told by the people who, who were, were legitimately harmed uh, made it hard for them to, to, to maintain that stance that I'm going to be a stance that, that orgasmic med meditation is a thing. Number one. Number two, people who are actually still active in the active in the practice or still pro pro one taste are so reluctant to talk. They like he came to me like late in the process saying, We're desperate for people who who will talk about, who will say positive things, like people who are still doing the practice. I know they're out there. And I was like, Yeah, they are out there. But he so few people were willing to speak on behalf of the practice in a positive way, that the material they had was skewed. Mm -hmm. And so it the, the only thing they could really do was was do was do what what amounts to a hit piece, basically. And I think that might be a that might be a pattern. Like more people, like people, will. There are people who say, "Oh, you know, Om changed my life," but they won't go on camera and say that. Yeah. So yeah, it's that's like, my sense uh, of it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this stuff. I mean, it's to me, it's a little ironic, or you know, there's layers to it in that it's kind of cult dynamics in society. Like everyone's yeah. afraid to speak out against the popular stance because then they'll be cast out, which in yeah. societies maybe not literally, but if cancel culture is an element of, I, I, what was it called in one taste? Uh, I don't remember if it had a term, but when when someone left, there was like a meeting to uh, enforce the negative perception. Actually, there was I, actually I, I forgot about this. There was one about you that I was in, where it was the Ooh, first ignited hear. man. It was the first ignited man after you left <clears throat> okay. and not a lot was said about you, uh, but there's something like, uh, I think I won't say his name, but the, one of the guys who replaced you on stage was saying positive things about you. You were a mentor to him in some way. And the greater authorities there were pointing out where you had basically lost your way and how you were not mm -hmm. someone to be followed. And it wasn't a lot. It wasn't that a lot was said about you, but it was like made a very clear point that if you still look up to Ken Blackman, you've actually, you're losing your way. And like, that was it. And it was like, um, yeah. And it was just like, especially for the, you know, cause obviously there's like a tiers of influence or where you are in the hierarchy, yeah. everyone who is lower just accepted it because they don't know any better that people up top, you could see like they were thinking about it, but they eventually like went along. Cause that's the only way you could stay in the reality. Yeah. I think, I mean, on the one hand, I see the necessity of that given Given the direction that they went, that is a necessary way to do things. You know, it's interesting. When I left One Taste, I had had, by that time, I had had two experiences with groups that had become a cult that, like, the goal wasn't to free people or liberate people or raise people up or, like, have them get to their highest level. The, the, the goal was to capture people and retain them and hold on to them and keep them for as long as possible. And, and I was sick of that. And I made, like when I first left One Taste, I made, a, I, I made this, this vow to myself, I'm not gonna coach anybody longer than three months. Like I am going to graduate them after three months. And I had to do that for a couple years before, I mean, I, 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 
ended up hiring a, a, a very good coach for my up-leveling who said, Ken, you're not at risk of enslaving people. You're not at risk of like, of manipulatively, like, like, uh, like holding people back. That is not who you are. You don't have to worry. You can coach people. But, but I had to like go in this direction of just making a vow to myself that I was only gonna, I would always have my eye on graduating people, having them like liberating them from, from needing me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so given the direction that they went, this was something actually, this is something that on that, uh, that Nicole and I argued about the, you know, during one of our first conversations was I was talking to her about this, about wanting to graduate people. And she said, Ken, not everybody wants to graduate. Some people want to have a guru that they follow for their, for their lives. Like there's, you know, there's other lineages where you have your guru and that's your guru for the, for the, for life. And there's people who want that. And I was like, okay, I can see that. And I think if they, if that, if that had been done cleanly, where, um, you know, like if, if it, if, if it hadn't become, uh, deeply like, like the goal is to hold on to people. The goal is to hold on to people at all costs. That, that would have made a lot of sense. But once I saw that that was actually being misused, I was like, no, I'm out of here. Do you think it can be done cleanly in the long term? Well, cleanly in the long term, I think that you have a, I, I think the coach client relationship or the teacher student relationship should be oriented towards, um, having people like freeing people, liberating them, having them grow, having them step into their fullest self. And once I'm in a community where I can see that the people who are here are actually sabotaging the people who are here, because as you, as you rise up, you become a threat or you become like, like once, once I'm a free thinker and thinking for myself and have confidence, I'm, I'm a threat to this, to the system. Um, I think, I think that's a, that's to me, that's, that is a system that has lost its way. So I, I, you, the reason I had to pause is because can it be done cleanly in the long run? And I think those two things are like, I think it can be done cleanly for as long as it serves the person who's, who's taken you on as their mentor. Gotcha. Yeah. I guess there's a bunch of ways to look at it now. Cause like, I do think maybe one of my controversial ideas is that cults work because they feed off of like instinctual family dynamics where you have like an elder who you really trust that knows the world and you follow that person and you basically live together super intimately against the elements, right. As hunter gatherers mm -hmm. or whatever. And I guess like a, a cult or a lot of cult dynamics are where the kids aren't allowed to become adults ever. Like they stay as kids. Yeah. Um, yes. But then I also think, you know, and this is just from my brief experience and not that I went that high up within the organization, but the more power I had, 
even with the best of intentions, the more like kind of natural ways I would kind of maybe flex or just see like what I could do, like not because I meant anything malicious, but like it, it almost seems like like watching dogs create their hierarchy and like one dog does things to the lower dog just because and somehow there's mm-hmm. something maybe animalistic in there. And I do think there is something natural about that because when what, what you just said, Nicole said, if some people want to follow I do think he, I, I notice this now in many things with political parties, with like the culture wars, like most people want to follow some other person's idea because it actually just makes them feel safe. And there is something sadly natural about that. Like yeah. it is kind of scary, like the idea of graduating away from your family or whatever tribe, it is kind of uh, uncomfortable. Well, I mean, I felt I felt that as a, as an 18 year old when I was starting to think about moving out of the house and you know getting like getting a job so i think i i think i think the metaphor is super valuable there's a there's a lot that you can kind of extract from that metaphor uh, that's true in both directions do you know what i mean but i think it's more like everything is intention everything is intention like what are what are so there's my there's my goals for the client and then there's my personal goals and to what degree am i putting like someone someone hires you and then they they put their psyche in you into your hands like it, there's you you have to have a great deal of reverence for the amount of trust that people are giving you like you have to have reverence for it cuz oh my god the opportunity to exploit that like I, with clients, if I wanted to, I could say a little twist that, that, that sends them in a direction where they will, they, they, I've subtly stolen their capacity to make smart decisions for themselves and just subtly attached it to me. They would never know that I had done it. Like, like that is how much power um, I as a coach have well, God damn it, you got to you you better take that with reverence. And so, I have been in enough situations where I was genuinely tested. Like I have a lot of opportunity here here to take advantage and have this go in the direction that fits my personal goals. And to see the choices that I made in real time to be in service of the of the of the person that that has enlisted me to help them grow. Um, sometimes, you know, like at, at, like at the expense of my own, of my own, um, what I might want in terms of, you know, wanting more clients, wanting more income, wanting more fame. So I, I do believe that, that there is this concept of putting the client first. And I think, and I would, I, I'm much happier having made the decisions that I made than making the decisions that would have me be probably a lot wealthier, probably a lot more famous and probably with a lot more a bigger following. So mm-hmm. I believe in it because because I I believe in it deeply as a thing that that I do. So, yeah, I believe it's possible. Is that helpful? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I relate to the thing you said earlier about uh, I, mean, I actually took a year off from a year plus off from coaching because the mm-hmm. only way I knew how to do sales was the one taste way of feeding on insecurities. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I can't do this. It's like, if I can't, yeah. if I can't find another way to enroll clients, I'm just not going to do it. And I drove a cab for a year. It was actually great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and until I found, uh, 
a yeah, different way to just share who I was. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm curious because I mean, I don't know exactly what I wanted to ask you about relationships, but I felt like I, I ought to. Uh, I'm in a marriage this is the longest relationship I've been in. Uh, mm. So I don't know. I don't have any specific questions, but I, I am curious uh, now about what we're talking about of like, well, a general question. Have you found parallels in your marriage and with your coaching style? Hmm. I don't, I don't, I mean, well, at a deeper level, there are certain things that I, that I believe in, in terms of just like do the right thing that I think come into play in, in both my marriage and, and in my coaching practice. So I think, I think that the, the, the easy oversimplification is do the right thing, if that makes sense well, to the best of my abilities, do you know? I asked this because I, I read uh, some of your recent posts uh, and your wife also posts about relationship. And it seems mm -hmm. like a very common thread. And even the title of your book is like kind of uplifting each other. I don't know if you would agree mm -hmm. with that per perception, yeah. but it's like, yeah, I mean, kind of the way you're speaking about uplifting the clients, yeah, uplifting yeah. your partner. And I'm curious if, if yeah, if there's. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's absolutely a parallel there. Like I am, I am a stand for her being uncompromisingly who she is and most people i was going to say most women and i think that's probably especially true because i think women get a lot more conditioning to mold themselves well maybe not more but it's different like women are are conditioned to to mold themselves to be what their partner wants and i i i would say my perspective is that that's even more true of women than it is with men because I, for most of my time, a lot of the coaching that I did had specifically to do with sex. And I think it's I, like the degree to which women's pleasure and women's enjoyment and women's libido, women's desire gets thrown out the window is more so in sex than in than possibly in any other any other environment. So I'm I'm deeply I'm deeply uh, aware of the degree to which it's a different experience for women to be to have their pleasure be something that is prioritized or like um, like one of the things I said to her is we're only going to do things that feel good to you. We're not going to do anything that doesn't feel good to you. Bodily, bodily pleasure for you. And so, the, like I, the, one of the things I said to her is, and this is my rule when I'm coaching people is, if you're having sex, I don't care if he's 10 strokes away from climaxing. If it doesn't feel good to you, you stop. That's the degree to which I, I take this seriously. And so there's a way in which I'm very much a stand for her being uncompromisingly who she is. And I think what I was going to say in the beginning is I don't think people have had an experience with a partner who is who who is that much of a stand for for you being really who you are, not not molding yourself to what you think you're supposed to be or what you think your partner wants like that. So in that regards, yeah. Uh, this is making me think of a question I've gotten from a couple of guys, maybe the, the other side of it of, you know, T typical guy, I'll use an extreme example. Women don't like him so much. Like he's not mm. very, let's say 
masculine and he doesn't feel yeah. that way and he reads all these books or he listens to people like me like oh these are things women like and he's like but aren't i supposed to be who i am i'm doing these things because there's a checklist that women say they like and, and there's like a and i have different answers to it depending on the person but i'm curious what you have well said my to answer would this. be i yeah. this is what i would say um do you do you like who you are or do you agree with women that you would that you would actually rather be this this person that they that you like? It's one thing to make your list of molding yourself into what you think women want or a particular a particular woman wants, and it's another thing. Like, I think becoming the man you want to be is one of the most attractive things you can do, and that was true for me. Like. Oh my God! The list of the list of things that I that that I thought were strikes against me when it came to women, like I wasn't tall. You, your audience probably doesn't know this, but I'm five foot zero. I'm five feet tall. I wasn't tall. I wasn't. I didn't consider myself attractive. I certainly wasn't athletic. I wasn't charming or outgoing. Like I didn't have patter. Um, I I wasn't wealthy. So I felt like I was failing on every count that you could name for what is traditionally or conventionally considered attractive to women. Um, but once I started liking myself, once I started like making changes in my how I feel about myself, everything shifted. And so I suddenly was having, not suddenly, gradually, because this was a this was a long process. But I think. If you believe that women want someone tall, I'll just use that example. Like I, I now enjoy being the counter example of women who say that they like tall guys and are, are, it drives them crazy that they're attracted to me. So I think there's a deeper thing about how you feel about yourself that is actually more important than what you think women want. Hmm. And I didn't mean to tie this to the other thing, but now something maybe because it's on my mind, it clicked with the being seen stuff of like, yeah. I have been in a trap of either disdaining what I think people want or doing what they, what people want, but kind of resentfully and both feel bad. <laughs> dude, dude, I struggled with this a lot. The first couple of years after I left one taste, like when I left one taste, I thought, all the intellectual property that I created while I was there, they can have it. They can take it. They can run with it. It's theirs. I'm not even, I'm going to hit the, the reset button and start with a blank slate and start from first principles. What do I, what do I actually believe is true about relationships, about life? And I just started to kind of create pixels of like, oh, this is a thing that I honestly believe is true. This is a thing that I believe is true. And you, Got, actually got to witness some of the courses that I was teaching around that time. Like, just like as I created my, my own body of work that wasn't seen through the lens of anyone else, wasn't under someone else's awning. Um, and I was starting to do writing and I was starting to teach. And what I found was all the writing that I thought was going to do well didn't hit at all. But when I just decided to write my own voice and write what I like, just write uncompromisingly what I believe, that stuff just hit amazingly. So 
at this point, I think that's the only way that I can actually do it is just to say is just to be uncompromisingly uncom with my voice of what I believe. For some reason, I never like there. There's marketers. There's people who are great at dialing in with the, the zeitgeist and and writing something that 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 is that people love. I never got good at that. I, I'm only good at doing my own thing, and when I do my own thing, it hits. So, for what it's worth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've had similar experiences. Actually, one thing that probably triggered somewhat of a depression last year is that I decided kind of to sell my soul. I was like, okay, I'm done being, you know, in the minor leagues. I'm, I, I worked with these marketing people and we did all of these things that didn't feel good and it still didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> so it felt like a double, it felt like a double loss. I'm like, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've done that too. I've spent a lot of money on, on marketing that I should have. I mean, in hindsight, right? Like hindsight's twenty twenty, but oh my God, I should have known better than to try that. So, yeah, and you know, uh, it, it it feels like so when I started learning stroking, and I think with a lot of guys who are maybe in their head a lot, there's something that seems so magical about intuition. We're like, oh wait, if I really stroke for my pleasure, that's the right stroke. Like, no way. Like that that seems like it just seems like it can't be true. But it, I mean, I keep, I feel like every year I get some reminder of how this applies to a different area of life. Like you really need to do what feels good to you because that's really the only thing you can trust. Everything else can be yeah. a lie, hormones, the, the Facebook algorithm, it all could be lies, <laughs> but there's only one, yeah. there's only one uh, barometer you can trust. Yeah. How it feels. And, you know, we have a super accurate spidey sense that we've been trained not to use. We've been trained to find some instruction manual but the instruction manual was written by someone who used their spidey steps that's how they came up with you know whatever it was so yeah cool uh so what else have you been up to lately well i'm married happily married blissfully married on and i are starting to teach courses together we're just launching something for couples, um, super excited about it. We've started coaching couples together and it's really something because her style is so different from mine. And sometimes she's doing something and I just, I'm like, that's magic. I have no idea what, like I'm wit witnessing a conversation that seems like it's in a language that I don't understand. And she has the same feeling, you know, watching me coach. So together it's very synergistic. Cool. And you're teaching around the States? We're going to be, we're going to be doing some live stuff right now. It's all online. Ah, okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, I'm definitely going to check that stuff out and please, uh, please do share when you, when you write those articles. Um, I'll definitely sure. share it as well. Yeah. Uh, and people can find your work at kenblackman.com. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it was great catching up. Thanks so much. Great catching up, man. It's good seeing you.